0: Um, we are starting a brand new series tonight, it's called Worshippers, so snazzy new video, I've got to explain what we're doing. Um, we are looking at the subject of worship, so over the next few weeks we're going to be unpacking the idea of worship. It's actually a word that doesn't get used a whole lot outside of a church, so it's one of those words that it's helpful for us to explain and to unpack. So we're going to be taking a lot of different angles in terms of what the word means and how we can become worshippers. How do we do that well? Uh, how do we model that? For other people. But one of the things that uh, always comes to mind when I think of worship is the things that we give our time to and the things that we might even become addicted to, the things that we worship. And I don't know, uh, put your hand up if you've ever had someone uh, that's needed to, someone in your life that has intervened when you have become addicted to something. Has that ever happened to you? That It doesn't have to be anything serious. This, for me, happened when I, uh, my younger brother said, Matt, what are you doing? And I said, I'm upgrading my castle so that I can get a level seven wizard on Clash of Clans. And I realized in that moment, I knew... That something had gone wrong. I actually knew a long time before that when I was sneaking out uh, to the toilet during during social events. People who know me know that I don't miss social events. I was sneaking out so that I could squeeze in five minutes on the scale and then come back as if nothing had happened. I was absolutely thoroughly addicted to Clash of Clans. I had to delete it uh, to get rid of that addiction. I had to get it out of my life. It was becoming too much Fantasy football quickly replaced Clash of Clans, and I became addicted to that. Uh, so then uh, I discovered that what I was doing was reading ridiculous statistics about midfielders of newly promoted teams who I, had, I knew nothing about, trying to find out what is the most cost-effective way to beat everyone in the community church league. How do I do this? What I was doing, though, is I was reading these articles really late at night, and it was, I was looking at my phone too late, so then I'd be uh, buzzed slightly, and I couldn't get to sleep because I've been looking at my screen too much. So I ended up having to ditch my phone at night, so I said, right, as soon as I go into the bedroom, no phone, so actually the phone now lives in the office and I charge it up there, I have an old school alarm clock, which is the best, if you don't have one. Maddie doesn't like it, I love it, it's the best. I would recommend an old school alarm clock, they're great. It's good if you turn off. Judging, it's good if you turn off. I'm also a big fan of the snooze button. Okay, okay, what else, what else? Lucky Charms. Massively addicted to Lucky Charms. Okay, so I got rid of the fantasy football addiction, mostly. Uh, also, I, a real sweet tooth. I once went to the United States of America and smuggled back five boxes of Lucky Charms cereal. And the way that I did that was by taking them outside of the cardboard packaging and then puncturing some of them, which meant they weren't fresh, so I had to eat them quicker. What a shame. But then I could squeeze them into the suitcase, and I could shape them around things, and I got all this cereal back. But ma- I, I brought back all that cereal and several mouth, mouse ulse, mouth ulcers because of how much sugar is in them. I was eating them every single day, one or two bowls, and I literally, my mouth was like rejecting that amount of cereal. It was like, you can't do this. This is so bad for you. So I got addicted to that. More recently, I became addicted to eBay. Has anyone ever gone down an eBay addiction? This is so dangerous. You just start bidding on stuff you don't even need. I once, in a, in a search for a single hoodie that I wanted, Bought five and none of them fitted, so then I had to get rid of all of them. It was taking hours of my time. It was ridiculous. The system is so addictive, it wants to kind of get you in. But why, why, why do we get addicted to stuff? What is it in our personalities that leads us to get hooked on something, to find something so interesting or so uh, we, we can't go without it? What is it about human nature? That means that that is something that we all face. And I've listed some fairly easy uh, examples. You might have your own version of those things. Some not serious, some serious. But we all have the capacity to be addicts to stuff, to worship something. So why is that? But also, is there something that we can do about that? Or actually, is this just the human condition and we're all screwed, basically? We're all going to worship something. We're all going to be addicted to something. Just pick a good thing. What can we do about it? Well, you would be glad to know we're going to look at the Bible for some inspiration. But before that, we're going to look at rats. Yep. In 1981, a really famous uh, scientist, Bruce Alexander, uh, he carried out a fantastic experiment. Now, there was this test that kind of came before this one that was quite well known, and he didn't like it. The test was this. You take a cage, you put two rats in it, and the rats, or, or no, sorry, just even one rat, but you put two bottles in, bottles of water. One of the bottles of water, totally normal. The other one is laced with heroin. So you've got drug water and regular water. What will the rat do? Every single time, the rat gets hooked on the drug water and effectively uh, drinks it so much and ignores the other one, effectively, um, or sorry, eventually ODs every single time. So the rat never makes out of the experiment. And so everyone said, cool, okay, so basically we're all addicts and if given the choice, we will become addicted to stuff. Um, but there's a problem with that test. Bruce Alexander figured this out. He looked at this and he said, well, the cage is empty. So the rat's got nothing to do other than drink the drugged water. So what if we created a different test? Let's make two cages. One of them can be empty. Sure, give that rat a choice. But let's make this other cage. He called it Rat Park, and it was basically rat heaven. This thing was filled with toys. It was filled with other rats. Uh, it was filled with tubes that they could crawl through. Everything a rat could ever want. This place was incredible. It was awesome. It was the Westbury village of rat universe. Okay? It, was, it had everything that you could possibly want. Okay? This was rat heaven. And what happened? Every single rat that lived in Rat Park ignored the heroin water. Still had equal access to it. Two bottles. No rat ever touched it. Uh, or or a heck of a lot less of them did, no rat ever died in that experiment if they lived in Rat Park. And obviously the other cage produced the same results as before. Okay, so maybe we're learning something about the nature of addiction here, but, uh, you know, namely that the environment has a dramatic impact on the likelihood of addiction. The place where you are, the things you surround yourself with, that has a major impact on the likelihood of your uh, desire to become addicted to something. But that's all good and well, that's a test on rats. Has there ever been a test on humans? Great question. There was, sort of, not an an intentional one. The Vietnam War has often been compared to this test as the human equivalent of this experiment. In the Vietnam War, many of the soldiers fighting across the whole span of that war had uh, unfiltered access to heroin. And a lot of them became users, and it was labeled an epidemic. that many of the soldiers were accessing heroin and they were not controlling the dosage, the frequency, where it was coming from, and everybody started panicking. Well, Flip, when this war is over, because of what we know from addiction theory, they're all going to come back addicts. So they all, what are we going to do? And so there was huge panic. What's going to happen at the end of this war? We're going to have a bunch of addicts coming back. But it didn't happen. As soon as the soldiers came back, of them stopped using with no problem, absolutely no problem. They didn't go into relapse. They didn't even need rehab. 95% of them, no issues whatsoever. So we learn a number of things from these experiments and observations on rats and humans. There are three things I think that we learn. The first one is that addiction is a form of escapism, The people uh, who went and fought in the Vietnam War were fighting for their life in horrific situations. And of course, the option to take a drug that might give you a sense of other reality would be interesting. So escapism is interesting, the desire to have connection with something else. Another scientist, Peter Cohen, he said that actually we shouldn't refer to people as addicts, but people, uh, sorry, it's not addiction, it's forming a bond. Because that is what we're built to do. He said we are all made to build But sometimes we build them with the wrong thing. So thing number two that we learn about addiction from this is that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, which is what a lot of people would say. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Everyone say connection? connection? Connection. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is connection. The third thing is that addiction can be treated. Not through punishment, but through changing the environment. Not through punishment, which is something that society often does. We lock people away, take away all their resources, we punish them, and then we actually encourage that cycle. Instead of doing that, we ought to try and treat addiction by changing the environment. Fine. Okay, Matt, you've talked about addiction and science. What the heck does the Bible have to say about this? Well, The theological angle on why we get hooked, why we worship certain things, is really strong. You'll be glad to know. And actually, to refer to that original phrase from Peter Cohen, this idea of bonding, we could say that the original bond between humanity and the divine was broken, and we read about that in Genesis chapter 1. And God has been on a mission ever since to restore those broken bonds, The human race is very much disconnected with God and he is attempting to reconnect with us. And we see that in Genesis 1. So we have that broken bond. But because we are all worshippers, we all serve something. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so there is this biblical idea that we all have treasure, right? We all have things in life that we see as valuable, things we want, things we chase after. And there your heart is also. And there's this really famous 90s idea that I definitely grew up with. And it was this phrase that there is a God-shaped hole in all of us. And I have a very love-hate relationship with that idea. That there is a God-shaped hole in all of us. And while I do think, and we can talk about this later, I do think that that's a biblical concept It is true that what you pursue changes who you become. The things that you worship change who you are. Depending on what that thing is, it can change you for the better or for the worse, right? We've all seen friends around us who've become addicted to stuff, and it makes them a a not-so-good version of themselves, less of who they really are, a, a poorer version of who God made them to be. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, talks about the idea of becoming under the influence of alcohol and how we need to avoid doing that um, because, you know, that's filling the hole with the wrong thing, but instead to become under the influence of the Holy Spirit. As Nicky Gumbel famously says, these things can become idols in our life. And again, an idol is one of those words that we, we hear a lot in the Old Testament, this thing that we set up and we build up and we worship it. And he says an idol promises you everything and it costs you nothing but in the end they cost you everything and they give you nothing the gift of God cost him everything and he gives it to us freely and so we are encouraged as I said to be under the influence not of uh, these other things that we pursue but to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit And you can read more about that in Ephesians chapter 5. And finally, this idea that I think the Bible is really keen on is that the answer to the problem of addiction and what we worship is that God wants us to live a full life. He desires a full life for every single one of you. In John 10.10, it says that the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come so that they would have life and live it to the full. Man, when I grew up as a young person at school, I was always accused of, you know, you're a Christian. Oh, that means that you're boring. That means that you just say no to stuff. You're a party pooper. You don't like this. I can't do this. I can't do that. Christians are the worst. That's just not the case. The God that I believe in, the God of the Bible, is the God who says, I designed life and I want you to live it to the full. I want you to enjoy life in its fullest sense, to develop full relationships and have meaning and purpose. I want you to be connected to me. I want you to serve those around you. I want you to look after this planet, to enjoy family life. I've got so many hopes and dreams for you, but you make it so small. You have such a small vision of what good life looks like. I want you to live life in its fullest sense. And so when we add this theological angle into worship, we get this really unique idea. And I'm going to say this as we close, that if we choose to say yes to God's invitation, the ultimate bond with the creator is restored and faith leads to wisdom to show us how to enjoy that full life. So when we reflect on addiction from a theological perspective, these two things seem to be of importance. And these are my two things to finish up with. Yes, there is this famously 90s idea that the God-shaped hole is in all of us, right? There was even a song at the time that came out with that very same title, a God-shaped hole. I've not listened to it. I have a feeling I know what I would feel about it. The problem with this metaphor, right? Every metaphor has got an issue. There's somewhere where it falls short. There is a big problem with this metaphor. If you go around saying, do you know, you know, you speak to your, your, your friend who you really want them to get to know Jesus because you know it's going to change their life. And you say, there's a God-shaped hole in your life. I don't know if that's how I would advise you to start the conversation. But there's some problems with that metaphor. And I'm going to help you unpack them so that they don't make the accusation and then you feel lost. The problem is this. If you say that, what you're saying is, okay, well, what, I'm filling this hole, am I, with all this other stuff that's, that's now meaningless? Well, it's not. And that's the problem with the metaphor is that we do damage to some of the good things that actually we do try and put in our life. We do need to consider things like relationships, food, what we eat and drink. We need to think about our relationships, what we do for a nine to five. We need to think about sex. We need to think about the planet. We need to think about how we look after it. We need to think about volunteering, what we do with our time. All of these things, they don't get replaced by God. God shows us how to use them properly. Does that make sense? So what I'm not saying is that if you have God, you don't need that other stuff. God very much wants to be a part of your life. and That invitation is there. But he wants to show you how to use these things to their fullest. So a life which is connected to God in a loving relationship is a life full of loving him, loving others, and loving ourselves. So when we referred to our original two questions that I asked earlier, so I told you about all of my addictions that I have, and I had two big questions why do we get addicted and what can we do about it? Well, the answer is this. The reason that we get addicted to stuff is because we were all made to worship something. The Bible says that we were all made to worship something. Then what's the second question? What can we do about it? I believe that we have to say yes. There is a choice that we all have to make. We have to say yes to God's invitation to mend that broken bond. And it's in that process that we can experience life in all its fullest. Amen? Amen. 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 I'm going to pray for us uh, before we move into our QA. and a Yeah, Father, we thank you so much for this. Uh, we thank you for this series, for this uh, topic of worshippers. And as we unpack it, Lord, we just pray that over the next few weeks. Um, yeah, Father, you would, you would change our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us closer to yourself and that we would become worshippers. Lord, as we've just touched on a few um, potentially difficult subjects, actually, this idea that, you know, we have these desires, we can become addicted to things, and actually that's just a sign of the desire we have to be connected to you. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would be really kind to people in this room tonight, and actually, Lord, you would lead them with love back towards you. Lord, towards that invitation to experience a full and meaningful life. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that we would be people who model what it means to be people full of faith, living a full and satisfied life. Would that be attractive to other people as well, Lord? To our friends and our family and our colleagues, God, would we be people who are chasing after you and full of wisdom to live this life the way that you designed it to be? And God, would our hearts be satisfied in you when that main relationship is restored? Amen. Amen.